welcome to episode seven of Queer Alien Blast. In this episode, we will be we'll finish our recap for season one with episode seven through thirteen. Episode six, we covered one through six, so check that out. Um, there are a lot of events that we're going to cover. We're going to try to go episode by episode. Um, that's not going to work. We're going to have lots of tangents, but we're excited to to get into the second half of of the season. So we'll start with episode seven. Um, and what's funny is I have to remember that I'm, this is not just about Malik's. So every episode, (laughs) how I remember it is through Malik's events, right? And so in our notes, the biggest part of episode seven that we really wanted to talk about, which I'm excited is the, um, so in this episode, it's that sort of after aftermath of what we learned in episode six, right? So not only with Malik's, but with Liz and Max and learning about Rosa, um, it's just sort of everything settling down after the chaos of episode six. Um, and so in our notes, we had um, talking about Mimi DeLuca, who played a big part of episode seven in the scenes that she shared with Maria, Alex, and Liz. Um, and I adored this part of the episode, although it is unfortunate that this feels almost like an episode as an island on itself, mm-hmm. because it feels like a lot of what we, you know, talked about in episode seven or what we saw is sort of dropped, especially when it comes to Mimi. So hopefully that will get picked up again. Um, But I do like the imagery of this sort of found family and them rallying together to, to give Mimi a a day as a group. Like I think that's absolutely beautiful and a a good part of why the chemistry of this cast works so well, because it's just sort of picking up after all this time, like nothing happened. Yeah. I mean, you definitely believe that, that Alex and Liz and uh, Maria are friends. You know, that they've been friends, even if they haven't seen each other for however long. The chemistry there, you you buy it. so And you buy you buy that they love Mimi. Right. And it, the, it's, her scenes are so heartbreaking because they, they intersperse moments of um, clarity and, and memory with these moments where she's, if, I don't know if confused is the right word or, you know, sort of time is not moving, um, you know, in a linear fashion for her. Um, and so she confuses people and events and time. Um, and it's, I don't think I'll ever, I, you know, I just rewatched, but the scene where she mistakes Liz for Rosa is, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, especially when Liz just sort of leans into it and pretends that she's Rosa. I think that's beautifully well written. The last time I read your aura, you read a crossroads. What happened? What road did you take, Rosa? N- Mom, no, it's... Liz, remember? We, we just talked about it. Maria. It's okay. That's actually my favorite scene in the episode. Um, just Liz having this moment of being like, this is what could have happened to Rosa, or what she could have done um, if she had lived, you know? Right. And that's just beautiful to see, and just seeing also Maria's reaction, because we know that Maria, you know, loved Rosa as well, so... Just seeing her react to Liz's vision for Rosa is just the scene is just beautiful and Janine is amazing in that scene. So and that's so cathartic for Liz. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you can see that it kind of helps her. I'm not sure that she would have been at the place that she was at at the end of the season if she hadn't had that scene in that moment yeah. to kind of let go of some of the bitterness that she seemed to hold on to that Rosa didn't get to live her life. Right. Well, and some of the bitterness that we've seen and, and continue to see that she has towards Rosa and, and not just what Rosa didn't get to experience, but, you know, a lot of the conversations that she's had throughout the season with Arturo where 
she still has angry, you know, anger towards Rosa herself, you know, mm-hmm. for the choices that she made and all of that. So it was sort of a soft moment of, at the end of the day, Rosa was, you know, her sister, and this is a very, very sad thing that she had to go through. So I do appreciate that. Um, and then, of course, Mimi and Alex scene, you know, when they're talking, the fries and milkshake scene. <laughs> Alex um, Maines, known alien fucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only part of that episode, really, that matters. It's the, it, But that entire scene, you know, relating him to his father, I mean... Again, we don't know subtlety on this show, and sometimes it really works out. You don't really need it. You look like your dad today. Oh, good. I was hoping that the rage face might skip a generation. Not your face. Your aura. I grew up with Jesse Maines, Alex, and I knew the very day that he learned too much because he came to school with the darkest energy around him, energy from another place. What place? Something broke in this town once. Long ago. And the pieces shattered. We aren't meant to touch things from another world. Alex. Yeah, and I mean, it's a theme that we've seen throughout the season. Um, especially towards the end. Um, and seeing Alex struggle with how similar he's become to his dad in his own eyes. And... Um, how he doesn't want to be that man. Um, that's one of the most interesting parts of his character to me. Right. But um, I love that scene because I think that just Mimi for both Alex and Liz is kind of like, you know, the mother figure that supposedly they didn't really have, the positive mother figure. Um, so I love I love Mimi's scenes with both of them. It's just so, like, comforting and, you know, seeing all three of them together. And with Maria as well, I wish we, we'd gotten more because we didn't get a lot of them as a group, you know? Right. And, and this is the most in-depth episode we got about Maria, really. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. By far. And I do, I do love that line where she said, I wanted to be the fun friend because I was worried in the beginning. And I read a really awesome recap of the episodes sort of preparing for this. Um, and someone, and I cannot remember, I want to say it was probably Vulture, Um, But they mentioned they were worried that Maria was going to become that trope of the black best friend, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. fun friend, the the one that doesn't get a lot of character development. And we do, you know, there are some issues with Maria as a character, Mm -hmm. but it was nice to have this episode where she got to show emotion. She got to say that line of, of acknowledging. Why don't you tell me? Because I didn't ask. No, it's not your fault. I wanted to be the fun friend. I love being the fun friend. I I thought I could do that a while before the reality show contestant's sob story set in. And that was nice to, to, to give her a chance to be fully, you know, sussed out as a character. And especially later with Michael crying, you know, and, and reaching out to him for comfort. That was a good moment for Maria. Well, and I mean, I, you can't deny whether you like Maria or whether you like Maria and Michael or whatever, you can't deny that she was pretty much forgotten in this season, except for this episode. Yeah. I mean, this is this is her episode. And then it's and I and I understand that we'll probably revisit all of this in season two. But you can't deny that it's just dropped. I mean, she's just forgotten until right until she's needed to prop up Liz or Michael or, you know, 
whatever. Right. Maria's not a factor in season one except in this episode, to me. Right. Right. And so sort of moving on, um, the next part we wanted to talk about, which is also one of my favorite scenes, um, is the, the Liz and Isabel scene outside of the police station. Um, because it's Liz getting to at least have a little bit of anger towards Isabel and acknowledging the situation that they're in, that she can't do anything about anything because of her dad, because he's undocumented and what that would mean for him. Um, and so I do like the, you know, the line of, I am not doing this, Isabel. Sorry. I didn't know. I still, I don't remember. I don't know why I would have done something like that. Please. So then how can you apologize? You killed three people. You should be locked up, period. But you haven't gone to the cops. Why? I mean, it's been a week and you haven't done anything. I can't trust the cops or the government. I can't call attention to myself because it'll call attention to my father. So there is no justice. My sister dies a statistic and we're just another immigrant family that America would be better off without. And not for the first time you get to see again some of the how privileged isabel and max and some other people in the show really are versus other characters and that they're laying it out there and i like that isabel didn't deny it you know she didn't try to justify you know right. the fact that she's just as confused and, you know yeah but she also is she's not defensive yeah you know at this point she thinks that she killed liz's sister and she doesn't right. try to be like Oh, well, you know, there. Were, I mean, I know she says something like she doesn't remember it, but she doesn't say that that I don't remember it. So it's not my fault. Right. I think it's a, it's more of a desperate. I don't even I don't know what happened. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how to deal with this either, even though it mm-hmm. is ostensibly my fault. I have no idea how to, you know, figure this out because, I mean, she just found out, too. I mean, and not to make this about, you know, giving at this point in the show, not to give Isabel any room, because at this point we think it's, you know, her. We don't really know any different. But she also just found out this happened, and she's been living with it and didn't know it. So, And in, I know we've talked before about Isabel's relationship with other female characters, and this is probably her best scene with a female character in the whole first season, to me. Yeah, or, or at least with the, the other, you know, one that she has with Liz later on, I do like. But oh, yeah, all of her, her, yeah. All of her, her scenes that you get to see a hint of possible female friendship happen with Liz anyway. You know, it, this is a good mm-hmm. a good start. Give Isabel a friend. That's all I want, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. A female friend. Right, right. And so um, we are going to talk about Malik for, for just like a minute because we have to. Sorry. <laughs> we are who we are. Um, I do want to talk about that Max and Michael scene um, at, Ma- at Max's house. I love that scene. Um, I mean, I hate that scene, but I love that scene. <laughs> you know, the what if it had been Alex Maines and, and Max revealing that he knew about Michael and Alex in high school. That wasn't your decision to make. You weren't capable of making it. What if it had been Alex Maines? Hmm? What if the reason Alex left town that summer was me? How long you known about that? 
Yeah. You're right. If you were the reason that Alex went to war, I'd hate you. Yeah. I just I remember watching that scene with my with my roommate right next to me. And it and as soon as he said that, like, what if it had been Alex Mays, we both just went, ooh. Like, <laughs> like that's dirty. But I dig it. <laughs> um, and I think the reason that that scene, not only for, like, the Malik shippers and that sort of, you know, the thrill we, we got when we were watching it, but also I really want to talk about how mean Max is in this scene. I think I understand how siblings work. And family works. And you say things that you don't mean. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the people that will forgive you more than anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. But the you are not my friend. We are not friends. Or you are not my family. You are not my friend. Get off my property. I think is extremely hurtful to someone like Michael, right? Um, because Michael has not only supported everyone. He's kept secrets for everyone. Max clearly knew something was going on with Malik's in high school, never fucking brought it up in 10 years, never wanted to talk about issues of the sexuality, never wanted to do anything until now, until he decided to do it mm-hmm. as sort of a weapon, and then has the audacity to reject him and his family. Yeah. And I know, you know, moments later, Max is literally later in the episode is like, oh, we only have the three of us and we only have each other. And I'm like, so I have three siblings and we have all fought at some point or another. Like you always fight with your siblings. That's fine. I have never, ever and would never say you are not my family. That is. That's such a strong, re- like, ref- you know, yeah. refusal or a strong emotion. I can't imagine. Uh-huh. Because that's not a casual line. Yeah. Because Michael probably does feel sometimes like he didn't grow up with them in their house. You know, he does probably feel detached in many ways. And then to hear Max say that, I mean, I can't feel good, <laughs> especially given his history. And I remember, um, I remember Karina tweeting. I think it it wasn't connected with this scene specifically. I think it was for episode twelve or something. But she said, um, you know, that basically Michael's whole um, thing is people telling him he's their family and him being like, I don't know what that means. And so. Like, that being reinforced by what Max says, you know, it just confirms to him that what you already... That he's not good enough for anybody. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that's his trauma and all of that. But if people also start actively saying that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's going to make it even worse. So Well, you're not being paranoid if what you're paranoid about is true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so lastly, in our notes, um, we wanted to talk about the Liz and Max hospital scene, the, you know, you're a hypocrite scene. What do you stand for? You were just talking about justice, but you're a hypocrite. You want Wyatt to suffer, but you let Rosa's killer walk around planning brunches for 10 years? Are some murders just more murdery than others to you? Wyatt came after you for a reason. I am trying to keep you safe. You failed. Um, which I had not rewatch that episode since it aired or rewatch that scene since it aired. Um, I have a bad habit of really only watching scenes here or there um, for whatever reason. I don't just usually sit down and watch the whole thing. Um, so I hadn't seen that one since it aired and man, what a good scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Max really kind of going off the deep end. 
um, and acting impulsively, which having a police officer act impulsively and make decisions to hurt other people is just, you know, this white cop act impulsively and, and try to hurt someone else given the history of police activity lately or, and for a long time in this country was, I was very powerful and I completely probably missed that the first time I watched. Um, but then, you know, to have Liz be a witness to it and, and really call him out on it was, was a great scene. Yeah. I love that scene because she's like, you know, you say that you, you want to protect people, but you're doing the complete opposite. And, you know, you're a police officer, you should be um, working for justice. Right. But, you know, your sister killed three people and you're doing nothing. Right. So um, I love that scene. I love Liz in that scene. She's just, oh, I love her. Like, I know, I, like, I was very, like, Malik's focused the first time I watched the show, you know, as it aired or whatever. And I've rewatched almost all the episodes, I think, twice now. And each time I appreciate Liz even more. Oh, yeah. As as like the main character, I really, truly love her. Oh, yeah. And you and and Janine is one of the strongest actors on the show. Um, Yeah. The way she delivers lines and the way her looks that she gives people. I mean, she really is a star on the show. Um, And we certainly lucked out having her here. Mm -hmm. And she is the one character that can cut Max down. In a heartbeat, with a look, with a line, um, you know, and that's that's always fun to see. Um, so episode eight, um, a lot happened in this episode. The most important thing, of course, is Jesse Maines got his ass kicked. Iconic. That's really all that I, you know, episode eight is my notes is Alex kicking his dad's ass. That's like all I put in my original notes. But also we have... Isabel going into the pod. We have a lot of Michael and Liz scenes. Um, so there's a lot here. Um, my favorite thing was um, mixed notes that all she wrote was Kyle! Exclamation point. <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> exclamation point. Um, which, you know, for us being a queer focused podcast, we have so much love for Kyle that it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate we don't really get a chance to talk about Kyle a whole lot. Um, and yeah. so hopefully. Yeah. Because uh, he gets some attention later in the ep- later in the season, we'll get to focus on it a little bit in this episode. But I do adore any Kyle and Isabel scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as certainly as a shipper, but also just in general the way that they work together. Because Kyle's character, I, again, I wrote on the outline: everyone's sexy doctor support. I don't know what, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I mean, he is. Un- and hopefully that changes a little bit again, just like with Maria, you yeah. don't want him to just be a support character and propping up everyone else. But in this, these episodes right here, that's exactly really what he is. He sort of offers a stable character when everyone else is losing their mind. And that is, yeah. that's necessary in all the chaos. Yeah, no, I love uh, that scene specifically he has with Isabel where he talks about what his first placement in an hospital after, after school. I did my medical internship in Idaho. I was a cocky bastard. Thought I'd sail it through and become Dr. McSexy in no time. <laughs> but day one, there was a mass shooting at a school nearby. The hospital was chaos. I was a mess. You think you know trauma and then... 
I'm trying to calm parents down in the waiting room. And I see on TV that the shooter was brought to my hospital. I get back to triage and ask my resident which one was the killer. You know what he said? He told me, shut up and do my job. Because in a hospital, it doesn't matter what someone did before they came through the doors. And I'm not a murderer. I'm just a... dying girl. No. And here, you're not dying until you're dead. Um, so yeah, I love that scene um, because it's really, you know, showing, you know, the core of Kyle's character is his code, mm -hmm. you know, his moral code. And that's really where we see that, um, you know, well, part of it is just, you know, a doctor's code, I guess. You know, every doctor should be that way. Uh, but also it's just at the end of the day, Kyle is just a good man. And, you know, he's able, I, I appreciate how he's able to put aside, you know, how his personal issues with Isabel and really all the aliens um, to actually do his job and, you know, be calm. Be Right. Well, and I think there's an interesting parallel there. If you think about Max with Wyatt versus Kyle with Isabel, not that that's not a great mm -hmm our direct correlation but if you think about these are both men in positions where they have to fight against um maybe something that's personal or maybe they have an opinion about or something that and they have to you're supposed to put that aside and do your job regardless yeah and then you have you know just had you know max basically trying to kill kill someone in traction as liz says and then you know kyle having to I don't know. The the entirety of, of the, the second half of the season one is he has to do these things even when he knows that this ultimately is what killed his sister and all of this. So I think that's a great um, parallel between the two of them. Yeah. Um, and it's also, um, I think, because we didn't see Kyle in episode seven. Um, so this is really the first time that we see him um, having to deal with Rosa being his sister uh, after we found out. Right, right. And the first time we've seen him since he was a homophobic dickbag in episode six. Yes. I mean, truly, these are the two Kyles that you've seen closely together, and it's an interesting character development. Yeah. You know, the, the I, I definitely want to talk about Alex and Jesse next, because I feel like that's a big part of the episode mm -hmm. for Alex's character development. And then finally someone getting punished for what happened in episode six. Um, you know, forever iconic is the, you know, hitting him with the crutch. I have a busy schedule. I don't have time to discuss science fiction with you. All right. Tried to be polite. That was a, a lovely way to get, um, you know, Jesse um, back into the little lair. Um, but it, the whole scene that with Alex and Jesse is cathartic in many ways. Alex finally getting to say the things that he wants to say. Um, and I was really surprised that they were going to have this confrontation and let Alex kind of confront, because um, they let him confront Kyle a little bit about his behavior. Of course, that was on a much different level. Um, but they dedicated a large portion of this episode to, to Jesse's come, comeuppance, and it was, it was a, a, a wonderful surprise. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I kind of thought that they would keep that for at least later in the season, if not in season two. And I'm glad they didn't because I don't want... I feel, you know, that that scene was cathartic and I feel like Alex can kind not completely move on from the Jesse trauma, but mm-hmm. he seems almost lighter in later episodes. You know, I don't feel like the Jesse stuff is bogging him down as much. And so that's a great scene. Right. Oh, and the cocky nature of just the way he talks and moves his body and, and mm-hmm. you know, that is um, wonderful acting on Tyler's part mm-hmm. as well. This sort of, you can see this, you can see the weightlifting off even with everything that's going on. Well, and compared to how he is with Jesse in the tool shed scene just one episode before, you know, even though there's a 10 year difference between the scenes, mm-hmm. like the the complete frozen fear that he has in episode six compared to, you know, this swagger and confidence that he has, like he's got Jesse's number Mm -hmm. and he's, he's finally got him where he wants him. And the difference is great. And I'm glad that they had those in back to back episodes and they didn't wait for that kind of release for Alex. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what he says later on, um, in the season that, um, you know, that was the point of going in the military kind of for him, you know, um, learning to be more confident, but also, you know, having the tools to protect himself. Um, and there's also the fact that he's um, he has a higher rank on his dad, supposedly. Does he? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, it's kind of a murky area because it changes. Like, between the pilot and later in the season, it changes. Like, his insignia on his on his cap is different. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I do not. I'm the last person on Earth to know about ranks in, in the military. So. <laughs> no, I just read someone else's matter talking about it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Um, but, you know, that does make sense um, with how he is, is able to kind of, you know, work the punishment for Jesse and, you know make that work and stuff like that and i also love how it kind of doesn't really like the scene at the beginning of the episode is posed as alex is getting revenge on his dad for generally being a shit dad and tormenting him and then later it's also you know when you find out about about michael um it also comes full circle and being like oh then they, we can also talk about what happened between, you know, Alex, Jesse, and Michael as well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned in here how Jesse is talking about all of the alien issues and everything in that episode, the sort of queer-coded side of it, which is true, also, and, and, and also the not-so-subtle mm-hmm. way he's talking about Michael and the aliens is also talking about race. I mean... There's a lot going on here. Um, Yeah. And I think that that is, again, Roswell's never subtle. And this time it really works um, because you hear a lot of what Jesse is saying are things that I heard. I've always heard my whole life from people who are, you know, racist or homophobic. But weirdly, a lot of what Jesse was saying are things that we heard during the election a few years ago. Yeah. Um, are some of the arguments that we've heard about the wall and all of these things. Um, so I do just like a moment to say congrats to Karina for that because it really was well done. Um, obviously making sure that we know Jesse is the villain, 
But also, I would like to think it's a little kind of nudge or a little acknowledgement of some of the, you know, alt-right and some of their arguments. So it was, it was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, um, I kind of did talk about this when I talked about the Molson metaphor in, a, in our fourth episode. But yeah, I mean, it's so clear that that's the parallel that they're going for. You know, Michael is all the alien and also a bisexual man. So the the argument a lot of the time for from homophobic people is that, you know, gay men and, you know, queer men in general um, target... Vulnerable men. Yeah. He tar- he's, he's saying that Michael targeted Alex because Alex is weak. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, right? So the history of queer people has always been that they, they do, they prey on other people and sort of convert them, right? Now, the irony of them obviously talking about that with with Jesse and Alex in this episode but also making Isabel a predator with a woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is not is not lost to me mm-hmm. and, and and obviously it ends up not being Isabel we all know that but it's the imagery of you know Jesse mentioning this sort of targeting and we're you know obviously talking about multiple layers of you know queer coding and all of that but then you turn around and do the exact same thing with Isabel and Rosa. And so it's a little frustrating as a viewer, a queer viewer, um, because it's 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 like, well, yeah, you, you know how to call it out. But then you, you, you brought us the same imagery that has always plagued queer people, mm-hmm. women and men. Mm-hmm. And then you did it again. Um, one other part of our notes that should probably talk about obviously is Liz and Michael's scenes just because we love the science bros obviously um that was all that was a nice foundation for a friendship that I think we'll continue to see throughout season two thankfully um they work really well together um and it makes sense that they would be friends so I'm I like that that's a that's mm-hmm. that's the foundation is here yeah and a lot of that is um that scene, like the fir- their first scene, that um, Liz calling Michael out for, you know, that Mexican um, line, um, which we we've talked about before. Um, but that's really like that's the point because she calls him out, and that's the foundation for, you know, what later on is kind of you know this. Mm-hmm. They, they, they kind of do respect each other. Well, of course they do. Oh yeah. Um, and it also comes to play. In, you know, Michael, you know, deciding to tell her that Isabel got into her head and, and all of that, which I think was a nice thing, you know, um, because Max, for some reason, decided not to tell her. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Michael obviously trusts Liz if he takes her down into his little bunker. I yeah. Mean, he's, you know, She's that the only first happens. person. She's the first person that goes down there. Right. Well, and I think, you know, even going back to like the first episode... Liz respects Michael. I mean, she makes that comment to Max that Michael was smarter than her, basically. And I really wanted Michael to have a friend that wasn't the pod squad throughout the whole first half of the season. I had hoped that it was going to be Maria. I was wrong. But, you know, there's definitely the ground there for Liz and Michael to be friends. And they have a lot in common beyond Max. Yeah. And so I, I hope going into season two, you know, obviously I think a lot... I mean, assuming here because I have stayed away from spoilers. But I hope in season two that Liz and Michael have scenes and connections beyond 
just dealing with the Max stuff. Yeah. Because Michael needs a friend. And I think Liz needs a friend that's there I agree. for her. Not Well, and I, and I think that so many friendships have been created in season one, you know, and maybe not fleshed out a whole lot because how, you know, 13 episodes. I don't know if, if we know how many episodes will be in season two. I'm assuming about the same. Um, but there's, that's a lot of ground to cover in just the 13 episodes. But I'm, now that we have these foundations for these friendships, I hope they're cultivated a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, Liz and Michael or Kyle and Alex or whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. We actually get to see a lot scenes or group scenes or anything like that. Oh, God. I want more group scenes. I loved that diner scene towards the end of the season. I know. If they, I wish Alex had been there. I just want everybody to be friends. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, the last part of this episode that we should probably talk about is um, Isabel going into the pod mm-hmm. um, and sort of Max and Isabel in this episode because it is the one episode where I feel the most for Max mm-hmm. in, posi- yeah. in terms of like positive feelings. They do exist. <laughs> what? Who are you? Oh, I spent the first half. I, I was the f- an Echo Shipper for the first half of up until the episode where Max said, what he said in the bunker in the gala episode. So it's there Um, because I do, I do appreciate Max and Isabel's relationship and I do. And I don't know if it's the twin thing because I have twins or if it's this idea of you have this one person who truly does know your history. You spent your childhoods together. They know you better than anyone else. And then they're near death. And you don't know how to help them and you feel very vulnerable and you feel very at, you know, at a loss. And of course, Liz is the one that comes up with the solution um, to save her. But I think their scenes are so sweet with Max and Isabel. And watching Max watch Isabel go into the pod was is one of the hardest things about season one. Hardest scenes to watch. Yeah. Um, I just remember that. Uh, and Evans is in the episode because I was thinking about um, the last scene in the episode where you know, Max goes back home and his mom is there and he kind of just breaks down um, and that's you know I think it's that's a lovely scene because it's just he has this weight on his shoulder and being like he has to be um, strong for Isabel that's what he thinks and all of that and he just kind of you know it's nice to see Max be vulnerable yeah I, yes, it is. Absolutely. And I, but that is, it is an infuriating part of the episode because this character is brought in, says a few problematic things and is there only to give Max a hug at the end of the episode. Yeah. So it just feels like, I don't want to be like angry feminist about this, but it's just like a female character brought in with no development to just support Max Evans. It just feels, it just felt, it was more jarring than anything. Obviously, she was there to serve a purpose. She served her purpose. I got it. Mm-hmm. But I still, as vulnerable and as nice that it, or as nice as it was to see Max being so vulnerable, it's still just sort of like a, I don't know, a frustrating part of it, I think. Um, I did want to talk about, um, uh, in general, what it means to be, normal for the aliens and how michael reacts to that in the episode uh, specifically oh yeah uh because i think that's a big part of what um defines michael in opposition to his siblings kind of that the twins want to 
be part of the human world and they kind of want to simulate and just be done with it and and michael is like nope um i'm an alien i want to be an alien i don't you know i i can't see myself as you know separate from my power so like when isabel you know loses her power she's like mm, this is wrong and you know walks out of the room because like i think michael is the one that's more in touch with his alien side and for him i think that's you know really hard to see even if it's not happening to him um that makes sense i guess you know michael because he doesn't really have anything else is going to view his sort of alienness as something that is more of a maybe a comfort rather than a hindrance or a vital part of him rather than something that I think mm-hmm. sometimes if you gave Isabel and Max the choice, they would have their powers. You know, they would they would much rather just be done with it. Yeah. Um, and that feels very in character for Michael, mm-hmm. um, not only to be different than everyone else, but also. Well, I think he embraces his alienness because he's already other with being a queer man. Mm-hmm. So... And Max and Isabel want to assimilate. They want to blend in. And then there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Of course not. It's your choice. It's yeah. a choice. But Michael probably embraces it more than them because he's already different. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and I get Isabel and Max, if, you know, wanting to assimilate. I mean, I totally understand that 100%. Yeah. It does, in their minds, make would make life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't begrudge them that at all. Um but Michael being an outlier anyway, where he lives, where, you know, what, where he works, even how he looks versus everyone else, mm-hmm. it makes sense that he would sort of embrace this. Yeah. Well, and it kind of harkens back to that horrible line that he gave Liz about, you know, would you take a serum to make yourself less Mexican or Ugh. whatever? I think that the serum, you know, also can play into his idea, like taking a serum to make you less gay, to make you straight. Yeah, that's what know? he says as well. <laughs> right. Oh, does he? Yeah, he says, you know, it's like... The conversion. Oh, uh, conversion therapy, that's right. Which is the part that I love about that, uh, mm-hmm. you know. I love that part of the line, and then he goes on to talk about, you know, less Mexican, and I'm like, nope, don't go there. Wrong one. So close. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, for episode nine, I'm going to steal again. I need to um, figure out her name that writes the recaps for Vulture, because... In my notes, she wrote in her recap for episode nine that it's the everybody makes out episode. (laughs) And I very much appreciated that as a recap of episode nine because it feels very true. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is the episode where they, you know, um, Michael and Max and Liz and Maria travel to the, the faith healer, which is funny from a Malik shipper point of view that this is truly one of my favorite episodes of of season one. Mm -hmm. Um, not only do we get to see the dynamic of the four of them outside of Roswell, which was nice to see, but also we got some of the best shipper lines from everyone um, in this episode. And that that is that is key. I am not a my Luca shipper. Shocker. I know. <laughs> uh, but I like my Luca in this episode. Oh, yeah. It was they're sexy. I get it. Yeah, they have chemistry. I think Vlamis would have chemistry with a brick wall, but they have chemistry. They're hot. It, it was nice to watch them make out. Do I want them to, you know, I know Amanda Hayes' word, do I want them to be endgame? Of course not. Right. But they're hot together. Well, and, you know, it was, it's in, you know, everything, the, the scenes that Maluka had together in this episode, 
you know, when they were talking to Arizona and, and realizing that she's a fraud, but some of her words were really landing on Michael. You know, you have to sort of revisit your pain to really, to solve it. And, you know, all of that, that scene is absolutely beautiful. Their chemistry is very clear. And I, you know, I did love that. And then of course, Max and Liz. Yeah. Um, no, I think that most of my feelings about my look for all of, you know, the second part of the season are very colored by what the finale is. So it's really hard for me now to rewatch episode nine and, you know, 11, the, the ones that they have scenes in. Um, but I remember that when I first watched it, um, well, the first thing is it was clear that that was where it was going. Oh, God. Yeah, that was literally... The, mo- the least subtle thing ever. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, I really appreciate how Michael looks at Maria in the episode. Oh, yeah. Especially when she- she's singing. Oh, yeah. A good uh, scene. That's mm-hmm. just, you know. Just He's like, smitten with I mean, her, if you, and it's cute. If Blam is looked at me that way, I will be like, I will be a goner, too, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I would absolutely have sex in some dirt in a desert. <laughs> <laughs> Also, also, they both they both look really, really hot. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I totally get it. And you know, this is um, I'm, I, I, I'm one of those people that believes that the sort of build up to my Luca was there, and this all this kind of makes sense with where they were even episodes prior. Um, but it was just well done. Um, the key, I think, for me to to have really loved that scene is that they had kept it at that mm-hmm. and realized that the buildup and the way that they did it worked so beautifully is that it was clear. It was just a, we're two hot people in the desert. This was really fun. But then of course they're going to continue on with it. Um, now if it had, if it had been two hot people having fun in the desert yeah. and no, if nobody caught feelings, I would have loved it. Right. Like let's have, let's have these two kind of, have their fun together beyond the desert even like throughout the rest of the season and then just be like and then i just <laughs> i just want to see two hot people make out i don't they're always catching feelings kind of like the max and jenna thing, yeah. yes you know? the jenna yeah. and max catching feelings yep. yeah just let hot people bang sometimes just saying yeah um i i do like the um the iconic sort of echo scene which we have mm-hmm. i think talked about before mm-hmm. um again no, you know, don't even really love Echo. Um, Kyle is forever. <laughs> but I do love that scene and, and the words that, you know, what Max says to Liz. That's the problem, Max. I don't know what to do with the way that you feel about me. It isn't real. For 10 years, you have loved a version of me that doesn't exist anymore. This smart, perfect girl who believes in God and, and love and humanity. I am different now. I'm a mess. I run away from everything. You're overly defensive, and you're sometimes selfish, and you're always muttering in Spanish, like you think it's some secret language that no one understands but you. Hello, we're in New Mexico. We all speak Spanish. You always have to convince everyone you're the smartest person in the room, like we don't already know. You think your sister was hard to love, and so you think that being perfect and being the smartest, that you're easier to love. Easy for your mom, easy for your dad, but you're not perfect. I see your faults, and I love you easily. It just, it truly is such a beautifully shot that the music, I mean, everything, it really is such a good scene. It's a great scene, and Max seems 
genuine in it. You know, a lot, I know we've talked about this before that a lot of times Max, and I I guess maybe it's the way that Nathan delivers his lines. He just comes off as so disingenuous and smarmy and just kind of just an asshole. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem to mean a lot of what he says. And in that scene, I think he really does. Mm -hmm. He means it. And it comes, comes off that way. And I'm not a huge echo shipper either. I love them in that scene. I shipped them in that moment. Like I was like, yes, oh my God, finally kiss. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The one echo thing that I think in the episode, um, a lot of people did point out is, you know, that scene that that they have about Liz forgiving him. Oh, yeah. Which a lot of people did think it was too fast. Right. Um, And granted, we didn't see that, what was it, a month and a half, two months between you know, the previous episode and this episode. So we did, we don't know how much they talked, but um, it does kind of feel a little fast. Right. But then again, she does say that she doesn't forgive Isabel. Right. Having that time jump was such a good choice narratively because if they had gone from where they left off to this episode and there hadn't been a significant amount of time in between, I don't know that that scene would have worked for me the same way. Right, right, right. The last part, the notes we had for episode nine was talking about Alex, Kyle, and Jenna. Just that scene in the yet another bunker. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's always the same bunker. And I don't even know the damn bunkers anymore. Like, I, I'm <laughs> like, who's, which, which secret one is it now? I don't know. I don't know. But I, you know, just that their, their dynamic was beautiful your father indicated that evans might have a connection to this case and now i think he's a suspect in a missing persons case his sister isabel isn't missing trust me look you don't need to involve yourself in look, any if you of- push me out i go to the sheriff all right or or i'll tell jesse mains and i have a feeling that neither of you wants that did you just threaten the title to our parents <laughs> you'll regret this jenna i've been where you are oh really investigating a serial killer just tell her. If what you're suggesting is true, we aren't investigating a serial killer. We are investigating an alien serial killer. Like perfect. Um, Talking about wanting to just see people bang it out. Um, There's a lot going I mean, on there. A lot of big dick energy in one room. Uh, <laughs> and not not a straight person in sight. Um, but that, you know, it's, it's, it's scenes like that where you put three people together in some configuration that we really haven't seen before. And look what you get. It's like intense chemistry mm-hmm. that I absolutely need more of later on in the show um, to sort of mix up the configuration some. Mm-hmm. So episode 10... I'm sorry to make this about Malik's, but this is the Malik's communication episode. So sorry for everyone else, but <laughs> this is truly what really matters. Really, it's Michael and Alex or Michael and Isabel. Yes. So that's where this is going to go. <laughs> um, obviously, um, one of my favorite parts of the whole episode is Michael and Alex at least attempting to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, actually Michael revealing parts of his history to Alex. Alex being insistent that he wants to know who Michael is. Those are things that we've needed for a long time and need more of because we only got a glimpse of it. Mm -hmm. But I truly loved 
you know, Michael taking Alex into his secret lair, underground lair, Mm -hmm. because it was just such a, you could do, you can have all the kissing scenes in the world, right? But this is what's true vulnerability is. What's more intimate than any kiss could ever be. Like, right. The what mortifying ordeal of being known, right? I mean, (laughs) yes, just having this conversation that is painful, bring up painful memories from Alec for Michael, but then also taking him and showing him things that he's only ever shown some, some things he's never shown anyone. Yeah. And certainly this space he's only ever shown Liz. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and that line where he tells Alex, I've been sick of secrets for a long time now. And if anyone's going to destroy me, might as well be you. Like, just... I want that tattooed on my body. Just kill me now. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is that line... So I had had a gift set of that scene where Alex says to Michael, my family's been hunting you, and then he says that line. I never really thought about this until somebody reblogged it and put it in the tags about the irony of having Native American man saying that to a white guy of saying my family has been hunting yours for years Mm. Mm. and i had never really thought about it probably because the show hasn't really talked about Mm -hmm. alex and his you know um sort of racial issues or any of that yeah the show has sort of not really acknowledged it so i didn't really think about it also it's probably my white privilege among anything else Mm -hmm. but i thought that is very intriguing and there is a lot there about that line i didn't i had never thought about that that's i know whoever and i i cannot remember who who wrote that in the tags and i will attempt to but it was beautiful that is a beautiful criticism that i would not have thought of mm-hmm. but anyway we want to focus on that i want to know about you line look ask whatever you want so the three of you were found together but why were max and isabel adopted separately i just told you i survived a ufo crash i gestated in a pod for half a century and i hatched and you want to know about my family problems look i've known about alien stuff for months i want to know about you Mick, I know you had some notes about that, which is a be- you know, one of my top five favorite Malik's lines. Um, I promise that I did have this more coherently, and I know this probably won't make sense as I put it down now, but <laughs> anyway, here it goes. Um, what I love about that line is not only that, the fact that probably no one has ever really asked before. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but also the fact that it's very clear that Alex doesn't really care about Michael being an alien. And I think that for Michael, um, that's probably one of his biggest fears. Right. As an alien, it's like, if I tell someone, how are they going to react? What's going to happen to me? Right. And also it being Alex, you know, the man he loves. Right. Um, you know, what if he reacts poorly? Right. The hilarity of Alex's line that, oh, I've known about aliens for months. Like, oh, this is, oh, it's fine. It's like that line. I, I love it because, yeah, to, to, totes, dude, known about it for a long time. We're totally cool. I want to talk about you. And you're like, I just took it in stride, I guess. And Michael's probably thinking, what the hell? Mm-hmm. That is not at all what I would have thought somebody's reaction would be. And I think that's probably, I'm glad that the first person that Michael really sort of opened up to reacted in that way yeah. i think that was key to him maybe opening up to other people later on mm-hmm. yeah i would have liked to have seen a scene though and i know and never would have happened but i would have loved to have seen a scene of alex kind of realizing that he is an alien fucker right like he, I, I wish we could have had that where she was like he's like staring into space like huh, huh. 
okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny that they do that with Noah, which, you know, at that point, you still think that he's human. Mm-hmm. And they do that with Jenna with the STDs joke. And Alex is the one that is like, nah, it's fine. Right. You know, he had his freak out in private. It's cool. Totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the only other thing we had about episode, what the hell episode are we on? 10. Um, we, it was really talking about Michael and Isabel, which we've talked about before in the Michael episode. So we don't have to spend a lot of time here. But I do, again, really love that the hugs and the sort of softness and vulnerability between Michael and Isabel. That's always, you know, lovely to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I rewatched the sort of coming out scene or whatever. Wait, still hate it. Still have issues with it, but do love the scene of them together and that sort of sibling bonding. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's an important part of the episode, I think. And, in you know, him saying that was the first time, you know, he actually said bisexual. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's much more powerful in episode 11 because he sort of embraces it and says, I am. But even in this one, you know, the, the bisexual alien blast or whatever is... Um, was just such a great line. Um, just such a great conversation to have, really. So Yeah. No, I love that scene. Okay. Okay. That's you don't have anything else to say? Um, welcome to the party. It's a real bisexual alien blast around here. And I love Michael and Isabel's relationship. To me, they have more of a sibling relationship than Max and Isabel yeah. a lot of the time. I'd say I missed you too, but time didn't really pass for me, so it's more like I blinked and suddenly it's cold and like your hair is significantly worse. You know, Michael's definitely like the younger brother and I'll take any and all scenes with him because I love it. And that wasn't the best coming out scene or whatever, but I really did enjoy it. And I, I that bisexual alien blast line is iconic. And yeah, you <laughs> so said it. He said the word. I mean, how often do you hear the word bisexual in media, though? I mean, really, a lot of times it's, you know, I don't like labels or I just like people or, you know, right. What the fuck ever. I'm fluid, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that if, as a self-expression. Right. But it's when you do have a label and you do, you know, you do want to hear that or see that validated in your media. Um, but how often is bisexual treated as a dirty word? Yeah. All the time. I mean, oh, yeah. for years, I didn't use the word bisexual. I used, oh, I just like people or, you know, whatever, because it seemed like. And, and, and you know, the casual way he said it is mm-hmm. something that I hope becomes just normalized so quickly. Because he does, you know, it isn't, it isn't anything. But the, I actually value the fact that the first time he said bisexual, it was, it was a joke. Yeah. But not a joke about making fun of being bisexual, but just sort of a. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is a label that I'm clearly so comfortable with using at this point that I can say it mm-hmm. in such a joking manner. I did appreciate that. That was a lo- that, I think that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So episode we've got. Wait. Episode 10. Men do get pegged. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yes. You're kind and you're smart and you are so sexy. Sometimes I literally just want to fuse my skin into yours. Is that a thing you can do? No. I love you, Noah. I love you too. I can't believe I've literally been probed by an alien. 
I did leave that off, fucking idiot. That's important. We have to talk about it. Please. Unleash, Mick. Unleash. Um, yeah, I'm angry. I know. You should be. You should be. Karina, why you, did you do this Karina, we had finally some good... Gah! We had We had Noah. We had Noah. Non-toxic masculinity. We had interracial couple, comfortable sexuality, and then... Trying these things out in the bedroom, pegging. <laughs> and then you had to go and you had to ruin it. And you had to take away good rep. Yeah, I mean, I know you kind of just saying manga peg just kind of maybe sound really silly and childish, but it's really just the implication behind Truly. it and just being like, Truly. Noah was just this beacon of non toxic masculinity in all of his aspects. Right. And then. You know, you give give us this you kind of, you know, pegging and, you know, man bottoming is just in general this kind of vul- vulnerability and all of that. Right. And you make that canon and then you kind of, you know, take that all away and just, ugh. But I do want to say my personal interpretation is that a lot of uh, the other men in Roswell do get pegged. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Um, unfortunately, we can't talk about men getting pegged a whole, any longer. So episode 11, because we have a lot to talk about, a lot happened in this episode. I could talk for an hour about just the Max and Michael scenes. Um, so in this episode is the gala. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see everybody for the most part dressed up and looking hot. So that's really the episode overview that we care about. <laughs> anyway, um, where do we even start? So I do like in the notes that we were talking about, uh, Mick, that you wrote about, um, Noah, in this episode because this is really the first glimpse that anything weird is going on that he's not who we thought he was mm-hmm. very extremely poor build up to who Noah is yeah I mean um, the fact is that in this episode it's very very clear from the start from the scene where Isabel is picking out her outfit for the night and he's like don't use our powers anymore you know it's you and me and we can do this and all of that it's from that moment it's very clear right um and then you know it, it does begin to look very creepy when they're dancing and stuff oh yeah but before that you had nothing mm-hmm. so like the only real hint um i think was when he punched the mirror in episode eight but then again, it makes sense. As a frustrated husband, that made sense. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If he's, 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 you know, his wife is dying and all of that. And, you know, even him seeing the pods, you know, he was clearly surprised and maybe didn't know that they had the pods. I don't know. But I, I did rewatch the episode, you know, earlier this week. And it's just so creepy. I just hate it so much. Like mm-hmm. he, that actor is so good. Karen is just amazing. Like I do want to say that for all of that, I hate Noah now, but just Karen is just so amazing. Oh yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when Isabel, you know, is trying to get is in the mindscape, and he turns, you know, the controlling on her, and it's, she's just shaking and can move. <sighs> That's so hard to watch. You know, um, I just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Mm -hmm. But I hate even more that it wasn't 
you know, a good writing. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked about this before when we've talked about Noah, but I love you, Karina, if you're listening. Um, a twist like that, you should have some hint that it's coming. Yeah. And this idea that has, and it's not just Roswell, it's a lot of different shows and movies and whatever. You should be able to go back and rewatch and pick up on some clues. Yes. And now you can, and there's this trend now where you they just like pull something out of their hat and, and then they're like, oh, surprise, you know, it's been this all along and you were wrong. That's sloppy, lazy storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think, you know, and we've talked about it before, but uh, why did the man of color have to be the bad guy? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just, I think there was, there could have been more depth there. Like something could have been, you know, I don't know. I think that that would have been, mm-hmm. ugh. Yeah. Um, so anything else about Noah? Um, no, we can't connect it that to, um, was going to help Arturo with um, citizenship. And now... Where is that going? Mm. Right. Right. They brought up that so often, I would imagine that that's going to, you know, we're going to keep talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and obviously, yeah. that's not a, you know, Noah's not a solution any longer. Um, so that'll be interesting where they go with that. Yeah. And honestly, since we're talking about Noah anyway, I do think that's a good segue to talk about Maria in episode 11, which feels like a weird segue, but makes sense to me because, you know, we're trying to figure out who the fourth alien is, obviously, and they... Mm-hmm. Hinted that it was going to be Maria. Yeah. Um, and, and in our notes, we've talked about consent in the show before. Mm-hmm. And then um, Mickey realized that we didn't actually talk about Maria. Yeah. And and so I think that talking about her is a good idea. Um, so obviously they hinted that she was going to be the fourth alien and, and she was taken over by Noah, right? I mean, that's what yeah. we've all... Okay. Um, there was some weird conversation at the time about whether really what had happened um but at the end of the day she got basically roofied mm-hmm. um or did get roofied um yeah. and what a wild choice to do to a woman on the show <laughs> yeah um mm-hmm. obviously you know we have had a lar- larger conversation about noah and isabel and their consent issues mm-hmm. but i think it's really interesting that you brought up maria if you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah, so my point is, um, I love the women in this episode, and I love that kind of Liz and Isabel and Jenna have to work th- together to, you know, figure out, uh, you know, and protect Maria and stuff. But I really hate how they did that Maria um, fourth alien trying to, you know, whatever. I really hate how they did that because she gets roofied. And then we don't see anything of her reaction to it right. or, you know, how she's dealing with it. Even in, you know, we only re- really see her in episode, um, in the finale with Liz and then with Michael. So she doesn't, you know, get the chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's something that really, you know, that you move on from that quickly. No, I mean, when you, not to get too deep and personal, I have been roofied, um, thankfully, I had friends it was fine but it's terrifying because you literally lose control of your body and you have no idea what's happening in some instances and you don't get over even if nothing happens you don't get over it because it's it is it is such a big deal i mean to ever lose control of your body or your mind in that way Mm -hmm. is not something that you can easily let go of and just i don't know like i can't I'm, i'm trying to fathom why roofing Maria was the choice. I mean, I know what they were trying to do. And I do like that they talked about the fingernail polish. No, she could have been dosed. I'm going to go home real quick. Check on the champagne under microscope. Wait, 
Nope. This nail polish has a date rape drug detector shine. That's not a thing. It is, actually. Welcome to modern dating. God, hard pass. Um, which is such a wonderful invention, but it, it is it does feel squicky. Yeah, and I know that Karina said, again, with this thing of explaining things of how they happened off screen and stuff like that, uh, and that probably, yeah. probably Michael did explain what happened while he was with her and, you know, when she woke up and stuff like that. We don't know. We don't don't know that. Um, Michael wasn't there for most of what happened. Right. And also, I know that that was supposed to be, like, Maria trusts him and, you know, she feels comfortable with him and all of that. And I get it from, you know, a shipping point of view. Right. But also the choice of her having to wake up with a man. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. After she was roofied. Yep. Is really weird. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even if it's a man she trusts, you know, because mm -hmm. then again, it happens a lot of the time. It also happens with people you trust. Yeah. You know, re knowing. Right. Right. So, I mean, we don't have any framework of, we know that she was very out of it. It was just another plot point that was there for a specific reason, but it's like no one thought through what that represents or what that looks like visually. Yeah. Well, and then, and then it goes back to that. They just don't know. They don't seem to know what to do with Maria. Right. She's just, a lot of her, she's been there as a, as a plot point, right? Like, or it's like part of the plot really. I mean, it feels like, Hey, we need this thing to happen. How do we make it happen? Oh, we've got Maria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just sort of make her do whatever it is they need for the plot. And that's not a great, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially because like now it happened and then between episode 11 and the finale, it's like a week. And then in episode, in season two, we know that even more time is going to pass. Mm-hmm. So they're never never going to talk about this again. Right. You know, unless she has some kind of utopic scene that I have in my mind with her and Isabel discussing consent issues, huh. I yes. don't think that's going to happen. No, but, but that would be you know. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the, you know, sort of female friendship in the episode. That mm-hmm. was really lovely to see to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um I, I cannot remember. Again, this was almost a year ago. This is what happens when a hiatus is this long. Someone at some point talked about the, again, how it visually looked to have Maria basically comatose on a table and having um, sort of Isabel and Jenna discussing about what to do with her. You know what I mean? Like it, that it was just very, um, yeah, it felt very like here's two white women trying to make this decision um, and it became kind of weird. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how they said it. It was much more eloquent than whatever the hell I just said. But I, you know, rewatching it, it is it is sort of visually striking in that way when you have Jenna and Isabel having this conversation about Maria with Maria in the room, but obviously not part of it. And it felt very, very awkward. Yeah. It's Isabel heaping the blame on Maria without really knowing anything, which is the quick to assume that what's ha- you know that Maria is actually the fourth alien you know there's some issues there but it was nice to see them actually all sort of working together um at giving Isabel women to talk to and like and sort of creating that basis for something we might see later with friendship yeah and uh, Liz and Jenna beginning of this scene specifically is what I loved because you know they're kind of the two opposites 
uh, you know, the two sides of the triangle with Max and Liz hasn't exactly been nice to Jenna in the few scenes that I have before. Right. So um, it's nice to see, you know, there's not any resentment. Um, they're actually trying to help each other. Jenna is kind of trying to do the right thing. So yeah, that's, that was a really nice scene. Um, I think the last couple of scenes, the last couple of things we want to talk about are mostly Liz, you know, especially Liz and Arturo, such a great part of this episode. I loved their little conversation before the gala about the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, such an important part of, you know, the sort of underlying idea of, of their relationship in this show in general. Mira, I have loved having you here these last months and you know that. But this diner, it's, it's my American dream. Yours is so much bigger. Unless it's not me holding you back. Bobby, have we met? Nothing's gonna hold me back. I've been meaning to ask you. I know it's risky, but I think we should explore citizenship again. How about we discuss it over a dance tonight? Mm-hmm. Um, Arturo articulating that everyone does have a different American dream, and his is going to be very different from Liz's, um, and what they value is sort of success, which is just adorable. He's such a great character um, and such a, yeah. a worthy conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love that uh, Liz and Arturo scene. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm white. I'm not an immigrant, so I don't really have that perspective but I do love the different you know older versus younger generation of what it means to have an American dream what it means to be an immigrant and Arturo saying you know your your dream is so much bigger and you you know you shouldn't limit yourself because of me specifically um right but also our what Arturo is doing is is I love that they made him the owner of the cafe and very successful place, sort of center of the town that, you know, that's a very big American dream and mm-hmm. a very um, unattainable one for lots of people. And the fact that he was able to burst through. So actually what I really think is mostly interesting because of the, the state of politics in this country right now, we're sort of talking about um, Hispanic people and this wall and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What is interesting is that the first ind- two industries in this country that would be most affected if any of these things happened would be farming and restaurant work. And so it's so interesting to see Arturo as the face and the, you know, financial backer to this restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a great flipping of the usual, you know, of, of, what a successful business person in a restaurant would be. Yeah. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So next we just can talk about Liz in general really quickly about how much of a badass she is. If you were on time, you would have been stunned. Yes. Because they did a very, very, that whole montage of her rescuing Max and Michael. With that song, it's just, oof. So sexy. I know. And the dress she's wearing, like, that's the hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That's all you ever need. Um, Because it was just, it was just perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, you know, her entire 
I don't know, like dancing with Arturo, her and Max, and then having this sort of soft, vulnerable part of Liz, and then like a, you know, really quickly flips it and is this sort of like badass savior. That's the savior we need. Liz is the hero of her own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when she runs home to, you know, check for Noah's blood and she does all of that running around in heels, which is amazing. Um, and then she punched Noah in the face. Right. I mean, <laughs> amazing from, from beginning to end. <sighs> Sucks to be powerless, doesn't it? Um, so episode 12, oof, where, you know, obviously um, a lot, a Malik's heavy one. Um, we'll try not to, to linger there for too long. Um, a little Milex, which is <laughs> everyone's favorite. Um even a little guarantee in some scenes, you know, that, it, that yes. is so interesting. Um, that Those dynamics are, are so well done in their scenes at Caulfield and, and leading up to that. Um, mm-hmm. Getting a chance to finally see Kyle and Michael um, in, in consist, you know, longer scenes together mm-hmm. was oh, made my life to watch. Um, they work so well together as characters in, in that sort of anger, push-pull, are we going to... Am I going to punch you or am I going to make out with you? Like, I'm not sure <laughs> quite what's going to happen right now. But that sort of dynamic I like. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I keep coming back to um, with Michael and Kyle is that I do love that Michael still holds a grudge against Kyle mm-hmm. for what he did to Alex. What do we need him for? You uh, under the weather, maybe experiencing selective amnesia about the hell this dick put you through. Look, high school is 10 years to the left. Let's focus on the shadowy government conspiracy on the right. For Alex. For Alex. But I do kind of wish we'd seen Michael holding a grudge against Kyle for himself as well. Mm -hmm. Because if Kyle was a homophobic bully in high school, even if Michael was closeted, that... Yeah, but Michael doesn't care about himself. He cares about the people that he cares about. So, of course, he's going to have a grudge on behalf of Alex before he even thinks about having a grudge on behalf of himself. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just who Michael is as a person. That's true. That makes sense. Hey, your ship crashed into my family in '47. My father's dead, and I think the reason for it is somewhere inside these walls. You're not the only one who wants answers. Alex and I decoded my dad's letters. Look, this repeats. 7A-N38. Alex and you, huh? Yeah, but also... I do love um, that when they do find the aliens, you know, Kyle all goes for Dr. Modus, like um, they've, they've been in, in captivity and they have, you know, needle tracks and all of that. And he doesn't really realize that he's doing it until Michael is like, you know, these people are like me. Do you even realize what I am feeling right now? And then Kyle goes like full kind of soft and gentle with him and he's like mm-hmm. and he, he his voice goes really soft and he's trying to kind of you know calm michael down and stuff it's just like oh right. so beautiful all of it kyle valenti is a good bean yeah right 
Um, but I like that he genuinely, rather than in some shows where it's like, okay, you were a homophobic asshole and now you are, you know, all, you know, accepting and open and this great character and you, it doesn't feel like, um, genuine with Mm -hmm. Kyle. It does like, it feels like he really, truly changed over the years and now he is clearly very good at his job and you know, good at being a good person. Mm-hmm. And I do, you know, I, I loved that if they were going to have another person there at, with them at Caulfield, that it was Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I, we don't want to talk about Alex for too long, but this was a very powerful episode for Michael mm-hmm. um, and Alex to an extent. So you know, Michael and his mother was obviously a big part of it. Um, it's still ultimately extremely painful. Um, Little scene. Yeah. I mean, are you prepared for me to talk about it and cry for the next 20 minutes is the question. (laughs) (laughs) That scene with his mom just destroys me every time. Like, I I mean, I love the Malik's part of that scene, but that was such a that was such a good opportunity for Vlamis. Mm -hmm. And he really hit it out of the park, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was that mean that just said so much about Michael as a character without saying anything yeah like right you know this is everything that he's wanted his entire life basically that he remembers and it's right in front of him and he can't reach it and that's that's kind of i think that's kind of a metaphor for how michael's life has been right yeah you know there's people that are sort of talking about season two and they're the that are not willing to give michael a whole lot of um, room for mm-hmm. grieving and for pain and for what that inevitably means for a man who has no coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to, I guess I'm going to say it every episode. He literally watched his mom blow up. Well, and speak, speaking from personal experience, you know, I, you know, y'all know I lost my mom recently and the knowledge that you've lost, he probably, so he's grown up, you know, since, since they came out of the pods hit that his mom is, gone for all intents and purposes maybe not dead but definitely gone if i was standing somewhere and my mother was on the other side of three inches of glass and i couldn't touch her and then i had to watch her die all over again i don't i would have reacted a lot worse than michael did Mm -mm. and there has to be they have to give him grace to deal with that and yeah and i understand that there are certain corners of the fandom that are mad because of the choices that michael made after that but I mean, I've made some questionable choices in the time after that. And so I understand it and I get it. And I hope that I hope that the fans will give him grace to kind of make these wrong moves because that's part of the grieving process. And he just lost his mom all over again. Mm. Right. I completely agreed. Yeah. And I know we can't really talk about Malik's a lot, um, but I do. I do love that they gave him Alex in that scene. And that kind of support. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I just generally love how protective they each are of each other during this episode, this whole episode, really. I mean, and even in a non-romantic sense, they're protective of each other. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yes, they're in love, but they also just plain love each other. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's clear. And whether they're together or not, you know, Alex is always going to be there to hold Michael up like that, like he did in that moment, you know? Yeah. Right. So, and that's probably my favorite aspect of their relationship, even more than any of the romantic stuff, is just how much they just flat out love each other. Yeah, and that's the foundation of the of their, you know, their relationship in general. Is like mm-hmm. these are two traumatized kids who found each other 
and held each other up for years and years and years because they didn't have anyone else that understood them that way. Right. And that's, you know, just the foundation of Alex. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful way to create a friendship, too, where, I mean, even yeah, if, if yeah, you, yeah. you know, learn to sort of put some of that behind you and realize, you know, that this is our dynamic is different now and this is what we can have. But a friendship built on that much love and trust mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's so beautiful and so necessary for them both. I mean, yeah. that's why I value and, and hope and just that we get, you know, Malik's friends um, because they have such, like you just said, such love and respect for one another and, and a protective desire, you know, uh, over one another, with one another. Um and, and that, that's the basis of such a solid friendship, so. So, uh, the, one of the last notes for this episode, which we talked about in the ladies episode, but it is important to talk about the Liz and Isabel scene. Mm-hmm. Um, because this Isabel finally being vulnerable with someone or, or being vulnerable with another woman really, which we haven't really seen. Um, she doesn't really let herself be vulnerable with anyone other than Noah, Max, and Michael. Mm-hmm. I won't pretend to know what you're going through. I mean, you were violated in a way that's unimaginable. It doesn't matter what Michael needs to know from him, and it doesn't matter how angry Max is. What do you need? I've never lost someone that I've loved. Was there anything that made you feel better about Rosa? The truth helped. Um, And so that is such a powerful scene. Um, And just showing two women having a discussion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is sort of a powerful imagery to have them, you know, having this discussion and supporting one another and, and really opening up. So, yeah. And I love that, like, you know, Isabel is kind of still her standard bitchy Isabel, mm-hmm. uh, which is understandable in that moment. And I love that Liz kind of refuses to argue with her. And she's like, I have no idea what you must be going through right now. But, I, you know, I'm here to support you. Like, what do you need? It doesn't matter what anyone else needs. What do you need? That's just a beautiful scene, beautiful line. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what Isabel needs to hear more than anything right now. I mean, yeah. she really, people can have criti- criticisms of Isabel all day long. But what she went through and has been going through for God only knows how long now. Since, I mean, at least we'll say 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's horrifying. I mean, I, I, there's no other word to describe it. And so to just have someone say, like, whatever you need, we, you know, we will we'll make it happen or, or you need to take time for yourself. I mean, those are words that she needs to hear and she needs to hear a lot. Yeah. Because it's very true. She's got to deal with this in her own way, whatever that may mean. And mm-hmm. she's going to need people to support her to do that. Um, so the finale... I don't even know what to say about the finale. <laughs> like, honestly, there's just, 
there's so much that went on and just intense from beginning to end that it feels like we could probably have an entire episode on the finale. Mm. So, you know, in our notes, the first thing that we, you know, really talked about was the Max and Michael scene with the Michael with, you know, my mom was. Whatever you saw out there, I am so sorry. But Noah is not the answer you're looking for. No. She's not. Mm-hmm. Which is painful. Lamis, <laughs> pay for my therapy, please. Right? Also, where is his Oscar? Which I know doesn't happen for TV, but you know what? We're going to make an <laughs> exception, and the Oscar goes too. Because it was just such a perfect delivery, mm-hmm. intense. Um, I, you know, I, I, oof, and I, I can't even really rewatch it that often. He just got me. I can't, I can't rewatch really anything to do with michael and his mom anymore and that scene like even just thinking about it makes me want to cry because it's so good and it's so vulnerable and genuine and he's so obviously just heartbroken and devastated and it's it's everything that i think you go through when you're grieving someone you love not even just your parent but someone that you love and to watch you know Mm -hmm. and then for max (laughs) To just be like, eh, sucks to be you. I know. <laughs> it's this great parallel kind of between, you know, that whole, uh, and back in episode seven where Max is, you know, Michael's sort of opening up to Max about Alex and Max is like, well, I don't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. And then here is this talking about his mom and not that he was, Max was that dismissive, but kind of. He, he is though. <laughs> like, okay, it sucks to be you, but let's talk about what's brought, what's bothering me. Yeah. And that's how he is with Michael all the time. Right. Yeah. And it's also like, oh, yeah, okay, that happened. But, you know, you still have me and Isabel. And it's like, fuck off. It's not the same. You know, it's not the same. He still grew up without a parental figure and just lost his mom right in front of his eyes in a way that it's probably going to... And haunt him forever. Yeah. And, like, clearly Michael's in this, like wild state of mind the way he showed up i mean he the way he looked i mean vlamis really played that up yeah so maybe pointing a gun at him maybe wasn't the right thing to do i don't know maybe shooting a fucking vial out of his hand wasn't maybe the way to go i mean or whatever you know oh my god i hate him i hate max i'm sorry (laughs) i just i hate him and that's not even talking about the hand stuff Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that is, which we, we spent a lot of time and I don't want to spend too much time on it today, um, but the audacity and the, the hubris that Max shows in this episode. Now, I, I know we're meant, that's how we're meant to see him. I mean, he has all this power built up from when he kills Noah and all of that. But it's just, it's not like this is a new Max attitude. It's just an amplified Max attitude. Yeah, and I do, um, that hand scene, I don't want to focus really on the hand healing, but he does say to Michael before healing his hand, he's like, A lot of answers died with Noah. And a lot of evil. I mean, come on, guys, this is a win. We don't need his answers. Why you're here doesn't have anything to do with our past or where we come from. Why you're here is about our future. Quit looking in your rearview mirror, Michael. And he's like, that's such a hypocritical line for him to say. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that's the guy who pined after a girl for 10 years. Exactly. Like, you've been the one stuck in the past for the past 10 years. And then you have the audacity to tell that to Michael, who has been through 
a lot worse, objectively speaking, you know, especially in the last 24 hours. Right. So I do want to reveal since I mean, everybody, if you're still listening, you're aware that we don't really like Max. I need to read off mixed note in this episode. Mm-hmm. So it's my favorite thing I've ever read. She wrote, do we really need Max as the savior? Trademark. Do we? <laughs> and that was the whole note. Um, and we don't. We don't, in fact. We don't, in fact. The answer to that is no. Because you know who the hero of Roswell, New Mexico is? Liz Orteco. Liz Orteco. Um, so I don't need a straight white dude to be the savior anymore. Uh, we've got Liz. Thank you. <laughs> and that's it. Let's talk about Kyle now. Let's talk about Kyle and come down. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about Kyle. That's that's a fun. That's a fun. One. I love him. Right. I love him. I love that they kind of gave him more depth. You know, he goes from kind of the stress relief of the show. Any, you know, when he finds out about his dad, not only did Jesse Waynes kill him, but also his role uh, in, you know, Caulfield and all of that. I love that he kind of is like reevaluating all of his life. Um, and his code and everything and then the scene where he's you know he wants to buy a gun and they have you believe mm-hmm. that he's kind of you know going to the dark side and all of that you know I used to be a real dick and then my dad died and I started living by his code but it turns out being a good person doesn't matter do no harm they say and then the world's on fire and you're sitting there with your thumb up your ass because you don't want to do damage. So I'm done. And then when he has that, that scene with Jesse, he's like, no, he still has his moral code and he's still following that mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you know. Um, it's still, right. you know, there are some rules and he's going off of some rules to kind of protect himself and also do the right thing at the end of the day. Right. And uh, what I'm great way to develop Kyle in such a short period of time. I mean, these like very short yeah. scenes, mm-hmm. but you had him go through the full range of human emotion Yeah, in about the equivalent of about three minutes of screen time. And he, Trevino just killed it. Absolutely. I mean, you probably one of the most powerful images of the entire finale is him just having this complete meltdown when he goes to buy the gun, because it's such a, mm-hmm. What do you do? All these characters keep finding out these life-changing things and then just having to deal with it very quickly with all this chaos happening around them. And it's just, you get actually visually get to see that sort of meltdown and breakdown. Well, I just remember watching that scene and kind of just like clutching my blanket and being like, no, please not Kyle. Right. Like, no, don't let this happen to him. And that... It was such when he when it turned out that, you know, Kyle is still Kyle was such a relief. And that is such that is good storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. right. Ha, like you you kind of saw this coming bit by bit. And then it, it all came to, you know, kind of a climax in the last episode. That's how you do something like that. Like, that's how you do a twist like that. Because right. I full on expected him to shoot Jesse Maines in the bunker. Right. And when he didn't which you know i mean i would have been okay with it <laughs> would have been fine but i like that he didn't i like that he didn't i liked it that i love that he didn't right that he still was having this battle and, and ultimately deciding that he didn't want to be like people like jesse or people like whoever you know i like that absolutely exactly yeah um 
So moving on from Kyle, um, we have a note in here about Maria and her necklace and what that might mean um, for her character and going forward. Um, I love that um, when we're talking about the trailer for season two, mm-hmm. I love that Mimi is in it yeah. because that means that all of these little sort of clues from this episode, we're, they're going to bring up again, which I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I put that down in the notes that my personal theory had kind of for now is that the DeLucas are in some way connected to Project Shepard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of what Mimi says about aliens, um, because the, you know, the necklace is supposed to, you know, protect Maria from evil. And mm-hmm. she, you know, like Isabel gets sick when she goes in the mindscape with Maria. And Maria is wearing the necklace. Right. Maria gets possessed when she isn't wearing the necklace. So, like, the, the necklace was a big focus of a lot of stuff that has to do with Maria. So, um, I think that will come into play. And that's my personal theory for now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. There's obviously a lot about the finale we didn't cover. We can take a couple minutes if there's anything else we really want to bring up. Yes, the only thing is Rosa has no organs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's such a weird topic. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, I just realized that like, I, I rewatched the finale like a couple of times because I kind of, I, I really didn't like it the first time I watched it. So I don't watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. But that's serious. Like, they did a full autopsy on her. Right. She has no internal organs. Do they take them all out in an autopsy? Yeah. yeah. They put them back, though. I don't know if they put that... Do they? I, I think. <laughs> Where? What would they do with them? I have no idea. No? Why would they put them back? That's dumb. I don't know. I truly don't know. I don't know what they... I can't believe this is a topic of conversation on our podcast. Actually, I, I have a lot of questions about that. Like, I'm really going through it right now. <laughs> They did an autopsy on her actual body. Yeah. Right? Like her actual body. They don't put the organs back. Mick, I can't believe that you've done this to me. Somebody at Karina on Twitter right now and ask about <laughs> <laughs> What a what a way to what a way to end episode seven. So we're gonna take a couple minutes to talk about our season two trailer. That finally, finally, finally finally (laughs) dropped after 15 years. We got a one minute trailer. But you know what? It had Malix hanging out on a fence like the fucking cowboys they are. I'm good. Uh, With Alex wearing the ugliest shirt I've ever seen in the history of time. Because it's he's this this shirt is the same color as the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, He's wearing a dirt shirt. It's not great. For Alex's complexion, what a horrific shirt for Alex to wear. I'm so sorry, Karina. I love this show. That shirt is burn it. Burn it. Anyway, that's not what matters. Everyone looks amazing in this trailer. Everything is amazing. Rosa's sassy little pose when they she's revealed to Kyle. Mm-hmm. Kyle's reaction. Isabel clearly like going through it. Um, I mean, every part of this trailer for even just being a minute, I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. Like I know that I know that we talked about this. I th- I think in one of the group chats where I was kind of feeling kind of meh about Roswell the last couple of months, just because this hiatus has gone on for so long, mm-hmm. and like you can only care about a thing for so long without new content. Yeah, and I was in line 
to get some lunch when the trailer dropped and I literally like ran back to my desk and I watched it and then I went back to my coworkers and I'm like I love Roswell <laughs> <laughs> alright thank you guys so much for listening we had a lot to say <laughs> and thank you for sticking with us for seven episodes we will and we are working on figuring out what to do with this podcast when season two starts we're gonna start trying to figure out how to do some recaps and put it put out an episode a little bit more frequently with doing some recaps. So as soon as we know, you'll know. Yep. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye.